Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada, 
ಪ್ರಭುಪದ ಜಯ ಪ್ರಭುಪದ ವಿಷ್ಣುಪಾದ ಪರಮಹಂಸ ಪರಿವ್ರಜಕಚಾರ್ಯಷ್ಟೋತ್ತರಶ್ರೀಮಾನ್ಸ್ಟೋತ್ತರಶ್ರೀಮಾನ್ಸ್ಟೋತ್
श्रीपगवान शोभनमे शोभने Anyone else? Shri Bhagavan Vacha The great lord replied Tvaya Bayu Uditam said Shobhanam is true Eva certainly Shobhane my dear beautiful wife Anahuta without being invited Api, even. Abiyanti, go. Bandushu, among friends. Te, those, friends. Yadi, if. Anutpadita dosha drishtaya, not finding fault. Baliyasa, more important. Anatmya Medena, by pride, caused by identification with the body. Manuna, by anger. Translation in purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Translation, the great Lord replied, My dear beautiful wife, you have said that one may go to a friend's house without being invited, and this is true, provided such a friend does not find fault with the guest because of bodily identification and thereby become angry towards him. Purport, Lord Shiva could foresee that as soon as Sati reached her father's house, her father, Daksha, being too puffed up because of bodily identification, would be angry at her presence. And although she was innocent and faultless, he would be mercilessly angry towards her. Lord Shiva warned that since her father was too puffed up by his material possessions, he would be angry and this would be intolerable for her. Therefore, it was better that she not go. This fact was already experienced by Lord Shiva because although Lord Shiva was faultless, Daksha had cursed him in so many harsh words. Om Ajnana Timarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadati Svapadantikam Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripasindubhyevacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda 
Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gauda Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So I first ask for all the blessings of the assembled Vaishnavas and Vaishnavis that I may be able to speak properly on our Gaudiya Vaishnava Siddhanta is given to us by our Srila Prabhupada and our Acharyas. So we're seeing Lord Shiva reply to Sati's previously begging him to go to her father's house where there is a great yagya sacrifice festival that will be performed. And she was begging in so many different ways, trying to appeal to the Lord's kindness, to Lord Shiva's compassion, to go to the, her father's house. And so he's replying that if you go, he can foresee that as soon as Sati reaches her father's house, Daksha being too puffed up is going to become angry towards her. And so Daksha, uh, Lord Shiva doesn't want her to go to this festival. He foresees what's going to happen. And this whole pastime, this drama we've heard in previous classes, how it's a play, right? it's a leela between Shiva and Sati. Shiva and Sati are not ordinary human beings by any means. And I was talking with Tushta Krishna Prabhu and others recently on how this whole pastime is very, very elaborately described in Shiva Purana in a section called Rudra Sanghita. And it's a very long pastime. We won't go into all of the details due to time wanting to explore this purport a little bit more. And then also there's some details in there that we don't need to go into. But basically, it starts off with Lord Brahma wanting to get his son married. Right? Who is Lord Brahma's son? It's Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva is born from the forehead of Lord Brahma when Lord Brahma becomes angry at who? Does anybody remember who Lord Brahma becomes very angry at? The four Kumars. Right? He wants the four Kumars to produce children, right? become Prajapatis. But they remain five-year-old children and say, we have nothing to do with this business. We want to remain lifelong Brahmacharis. Lord Brahma becomes angry and Rudra is born from his forehead. We all have seen the painting in the second canto of little baby <laughs> Rudra coming out of the forehead of Lord Brahma. And so Lord Shiva, his position is very confusing to a lot of people. Right? Shiva Tattva, he's not an ordinary jiva, and yet he's not Vishnu Tattva. In this world as Gunavatar, he's born as Rudra from the forehead of Brahma. And so Brahma, he's thinking, I have a wife, Sarasvati. Lord Vishnu has his consort, Lakshmi. But Rudra, he doesn't have a wife. 
But we know that Lord Shiva is such a great yogi that he can't be disturbed even by Cupid. Actually, in this section of Shiva Purana, Lord Brahma curses Cupid, Kamadev, that he will be burnt up by Lord Shiva. And so how is it that Lord Shiva, the greatest yogi, is, want to, is going to want to get married? But Lord Shiva's eternal consort is Maya. Right, so we have, not to get too wrapped up into details, Sadashiva, the origin of Shiva Tattva, is Vishnu Tattva. And his consort is Ramadevi. This is all told in Brahma Sanghita and also Lagu Bhagavatamrita. But in this material world, Lord Shiva takes on the position of Rudra, the Gunavatar, the uh, incarnation in the mode of ignorance. And he is likened to yogurt. Vishnu is milk, and you add some culture to that milk, and it creates yogurt, and you get Shiva, right? Shiva is Vishnu, who is associating with the material energy, Maya. So only Maya Devi, his eternal consort, is going to be able to actually catch hold of Shiva's mind. Shiva's attention. And Brahma, while he's thinking like this, how are we going to get Maya Devi married to Lord Shiva? Vishnu comes and he says, you should perform austerities to goddess Durga. And also Daksha should engage in austerities to Durga Devi. And so they both engage in austerities. It says that... Uh, Daksha engaged in austerities for 3,000 celestial years. And at the end of those 3,000 years, Durga Devi, riding a lion, holding Trishu, trident, very beautifully manifests toward, to Daksha and says that, I will take birth as your daughter, Sati. One condition if you ever find fault with me, if you ever become angry towards me, I'm immediately going to give up this body and I'm not going to be your daughter anymore. So he agrees. And Sati takes birth from Prasuti Daksha. And it's stated there that Sati then undergoes austerities for one year to receive Shiva as her husband. And it's very elaborately stated what she did for each month. And finally, Lord Shiva gives her the benediction that you will be my wife. And Lord Shiva instructs Brahma, you go tell Daksha <laughs> that she, you should, uh, Daksha should give uh, his daughter to me. So in Bhagavatam, how it states how Brahma then went to Daksha and said, you should give your daughter Sati to Lord Shiva. This was all the elaborate plan of Lord Shiva and ultimately Vishnu. And so in the mountains of Kailash and Himalayas, Sati, she actually becomes very um, close with Menaka, 
who is basically goddess of the Himalayan mountains. And due to this close association and affection, Menika sees Sati as her daughter. So in the next, uh, in chapter four, at the end, when it says that uh, Sati then takes birth from Menika, she resumes her original form as Durga or Parvati. So this is all an elaborate <laughs> Leela set up. This is not just Sati as a regular human um, being bewildered and afflicted by not going to see her father. Actually, it's all a play. But as with all Leelas in Srimad Bhagavatam, as with all Leelas in the Vedas, Upanishads, it's a teaching for us to have introspection on the human nature. Right? So we see how Sati is interacting with her husband, interacting with her father in such a way to give us deep teachings into our own life. And so Daksha, he becomes puffed up, right? Prabhupada states this in two times, he becomes puffed up. So Daksha, he becomes so puffed up that he forgets the instructions of Sati, of Durga Devi, that if he finds fault with her that she's going to leave. He becomes so bewildered by bodily identification and material possessions that he becomes angry towards the daughter that he performed austerities for 3,000 years for. That's how bewildering this material nature is, especially when we become puffed up. And I was just thinking, and whenever I hear like puffed up, I just think about birds or animals who like, you know, puff up their chest and, you know, they're like trying to scare away different animals or attract the opposite sex so that puffed up nature, right, due to bodily identification and material possessions, it makes us proud, makes us puff ourselves up more than naturally, right? The birds and the animals that puff themselves up, they're small, but they make themselves seem so big when actually they're very small. So because of this puffed up nature, he becomes angry, right? He became angry towards Lord Shiva, not standing up. He's going to become angry towards his own daughter. And this anger, right, in the yogi psychology, where does it come from? The great book on yogi psychology, Bhagavad Gita, in chapter 2, text 61, Dhyayato Vishyan Pungsa Sangasteshu Pajayate Sangat Sanjayate Kamak Kamak Krodo Bijayate. Where does this anger start with? It starts with Dhyayato Vishyan Pungsa, meditating on the sense objects. While we're meditating on the objects of this world, Sangat, we become attached to those objects. Because of that attachment, lust develops. From lust, anger arises. Why does anger arise from lust? We want a specific object. We can't have it, so we start kicking and crying. I want it, I want it, why can't I want it? You know, it becomes frustrating when we're not able to get the objects in this world that we want. Kama Esha, Krota Esha, Raja Guna Sumudbhava. 
So it's all coming from the Rajagun, this passionate nature. When we're in the mode of passion and ignorance, right? we basically have two types of frame of mind, lust and anger. right? Because consciousness, when you go through the teachings of Kapila, it states that consciousness is serene, it's pure. But what happens? Our consciousness becomes constricted. Right? In yoga psychology, uh, what is it? In Chandogya Upanishad, Tara Hridaya Akash. There's ether within the heart region, right? Consciousness is originally pure, but lifetime after lifetime, what's happening? We're taking in so much impressions or samskars. And where that consciousness is originally pure, bright, because of Rajagun and Tamagun, it becomes very constricted. The consciousness becomes clouded and constricted. That's why Cheto Darpana Marjanam, we're cleansing the chitta. Right? And yoga itself, yoga is chitta vritti narodaha, to cleanse the chitta, to cleanse the consciousness. But in Rajagun and Tamagun, when we're in that passion and ignorance, right, in mode of goodness, it's happiness, knowledge. Right? Even uh, Bhagavatam states, kaivalyam satvakam uh, jnanam. Right? You have knowledge in the mode of goodness, it's very liberating. You see everything as one. But in Rajagun, kaivalpakam, it becomes very uh, distinguished. You start discriminating so much in this material world. Tamagun is just more knowledge about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. So that passion and ignorance constricts the consciousness more and more and more. So in the mode of goodness, you have so many varieties of emotions. You're able to experience beauty. You're into culture. You have so many nuances of emotions. But as that consciousness constricts, it just goes down to anger and lust. And again, to get free from all of this, cheto darpana marjanam bhava mahadavagni nirvapanam by chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We're cleansing the consciousness, we're clearing out all that dirt, all that anger, all that lust. We're cleansing ourselves from that Rajagun, Tamagun, rising up to Sattvagun, mode of goodness, so that we can springboard into transcendence. And it takes a lot of time. So that we're free from the bodily identification, material possessions, which causes us to be angry and lusty in the first place, right? giving up this bodily identification. And it's so interesting how Lord Shiva and Sati, they're faultless. So how, how is it they're criticized? Right? And what do they do about it? Lord Shiva, he just leaves, right? He's not disturbed by it. This is the mood of great personalities when they're criticized. And this morning I was thinking about how Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives us such an extreme example. 
of taking on criticism and not being bothered. So in the Antialila, there's the story of Ramachandrapuri. Ramachandrapuri comes to Jagannath Puri, where Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is staying, and he meets with first Paramananda Puri and Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Jagadananda. And Ramachandrapuri, he is senior, so-called senior, to Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the aspect that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's guru, Ishvarapuri, Ramachandrapuri is Ishvarapuri's godbrother. They're both disciples of Madhavendra Puri. And so Ramachandrapuri, he meets with them and says that he's going to stay in Jagannath Puri for some time. And Jagannanda Pandit invites Ramachandrapuri over to his house. Please come and take prasadam. Large quantities of prasadam is brought from Lord Jagannath. And Jagadananda starts serving Ramachandrapuri very respectfully. And then Ramachandrapuri, he says, now you sit down and you eat. And he's speaking very sweet words. Just sit down and you eat. And Jagadananda Pandit, he's finished. He said, no, no, eat more. Please eat more. Keep eating. Finally, Jagadananda Pandit stands up, washes his hands. He's done. Ramachandrapuri says, just see. The devotee, I've heard that the devotees of Lord Chaitanya eat more than what is necessary. And today, I've personally seen how much you eat. Just see. And he starts criticizing Jagadananda for eating so much. So he has this criticizing mentality that he would actually regularly do this. He would take prasadam at a devotee's house, serve them, and then criticize them for eating too much. Why? Why did he have this mentality? Krishnadas Kaviraj states that when Sripad Madhavendra Puri was leaving this world, what was his mood? Aidina Dayardranatahe Maturanata Kadava Lokyase Hridayam Twada Loka Kataram Dayata Brahmiti Kim Karomyam. Oh my Lord, O most merciful master, O master of Matura, my heart is so grieved by not seeing you. O most merciful Lord, what am I supposed to do now? Kim Karomyam, what am I supposed to do? He's lamenting in separation from Krishna. Ramachandrapuri and Ishvarapuri, they're there serving their spiritual master. Ramachandrapuri hears this most beautiful poem that is only understood by three personalities, Lord Chaitanya, Madhavendrapuri, and Srimati Radharani. It's most amazing verse. And what does Ramachandrapuri do? Why are you saying this? You should be fixed in Brahman, and yet you're lamenting, you're crying. You should be fixed in Brahman. You shouldn't be crying. Madhavendra Puri, after experiencing such ecstasy and then hearing these criticizing words of his disciple, he said, leave. I don't want to see your face at the time of death. And he removes all of the mercy that he's given to Ramachandrapuri. Whereas Ishvarapuri, what was his mood? He was trying to cultivate the same mood as his spiritual master. 
He was serving in such a way to chant and bring Madhavendrapuri deeper into devotional ecstasy. What to speak of cleansing the body of his spiritual master with his own hands, serving him so nicely. And in that section, it states that Ishwarapuri received the blessing of Madhavendrapuri, whereas Ramachandrapuri received a rebuke from him. Therefore, these two persons, Ishwarapuri and Ramachandrapuri, are examples of the objects of a great personality's benediction and punishment. Madhavendrapuri instructed the entire world by presenting these two examples. So Ishwarapuri, it stated that he became Premasagara, a great ocean of love of God. Whereas Ramachandrapuri became Sarvanindakar. He was just criticizing everybody. And he wanted to criticize Lord Chaitanya, but Lord Chaitanya was completely faultless. How is he going to criticize the Lord? So he starts criticizing different devotees for overeating. And then one day he noticed ants. There's ants in Lord Chaitanya's Bhajan Kutir, where he's staying. Because there's ants, there must be sweets. Lord Chaitanya is a sannyasi. He shouldn't be eating sweets. And he starts criticizing the Lord's eating. He starts criticizing the Supreme Personality of Godhead. What is the mood of Lord Chaitanya? He reduces his eating by one-fourth. He then reduces his eating by half due to the further criticization of Ramachandrapuri. All of the devotees start reducing their eating. That is the mood of Lord Chaitanya. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to say, you're wrong, ants are everywhere. As Chaitanya Charitamrita says, ants are everywhere. But Ramachandrapuri couldn't find a fault with Lord Chaitanya, so he created a fault. And he criticized the Lord. And Lord Chaitanya took it so humbly that, oh, I'm going to reduce my eating. And what happened when he reduced his eating? What was Ramachandrapuri's mentality? You're not eating enough. Look at you, you're so thin. Bhagavad Gita says if you're going to be a proper yogi, you have to not eat too much and you can't eat too little. Now you're eating too little. So he starts criticizing the Lord that he's eating too little. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what is his response? I'm, I'm your disciple. You are so mercifully instructing me because I'm just a boy. And so you're mercifully instructing me. Thank you. And he continues with this in Parmananda Puri. He even comes to Lord Chaitanya and says, Ramachandra Puri, he's a burden on everybody. There's no happiness in Jagannath Puri anymore. Nobody's able to eat as much as they want. And even that, he's... In the Bhagavatam, it states that one should not praise nor criticize. But out of these two things, the later the para vidhi, the last instruction, that should be given stress. So one shouldn't criticize. Actually, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur says that this verse means one should glorify. One should, um, one should glorify others and not criticize others. But Ramachandrapuri, he's criticizing others and he's not glorifying anybody. 
So he's at so much fault, and you're allowing him to get away with it. And eventually, Ramachandra Puri left Jagannath Puri on his own accord. But Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, seeing how Ramachandra Puri was senior to him, he met with this criticism with so much humility. This is the absolute truth, supreme personality of Godhead, instructing us on accepting criticism. Now we can go to the bhaktas, the devotees. Srivas Thakur. He's criticized by Gopal Chapala, right? He, Gopal Chapala puts all this paraphernalia of worshipping goddess Kali on his doorstep. Wine, so many flowers, so many offerings. What does Srivas Thakur do? He doesn't come out of his house and say, whose is this? Who put this here? Who's offending me? Who's saying that I'm worshipping goddess Kali? No, he says... Oh, just see, I'm worshipping goddess Bhavani. I'm worshipping goddess Kali. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't try to show that it's a mistake, that somebody else did this. He just humbly accepts it. And because of this, all of the other persons that are there, they say, Srivastakor, we know he doesn't worship goddess Kali. Somebody clean this properly. Gopal Chapala ends up getting diseased body, leprosy. So Srivas Thakur, he takes criticism in such a humble way. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he used to go on walks with his disciples. And as he would come out of the Gaudiamat in Calcutta, there was one man who used to yell <laughs> at Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur all types of criticisms. And he was an elderly man, and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur would just put his head down, keep walking. Until one day, he came out, and there's nobody yelling at him, there's nobody criticizing him. So he asked his disciples, What happened? He said, Oh, that man has passed away. What did Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur do? He started crying, saying, That man was my greatest friend. That's amazing that he had, he was completely off the bodily concept of life. He had nothing to do with material possessions. The Supreme Lord, devotees, they're not puffed up. And so if there's criticism, Lord Shiva, Lord Chaitanya, Srivas Thakur, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, they're showing us how to receive this criticism. Even St. Francis of Assisi, he said the greatest benediction would be that if he goes to one of the monasteries, that he would knock on the door and he would be beaten and unknown. He wouldn't even want to be known as a great acharya of the monasteries. So this is the Trinadapi, Sunichena, Torovariva, Sahishnuna, thinking oneself lower than the straw in the street, being more tolerant than a tree, and it all comes from devotion. It's not artificial. If we try to actually artificially follow these personalities, then we're going to have so much mental agitation. We can only actually be approached in a sincere way through devotion, to actually understanding who we are as eternal servants of Krishna, eternal servants of everybody. And the mood of a devotee is 
adosha darshi. So in the Sanskrit today, anutpadita dosha drishtaya, not finding fault. That is the mood of every devotee. Vaishnav is adosha darshi. They don't see any faults in others, they only see the faults in themselves. Right? And we have the great example of the bumblebee and the fly. The bumblebee will always go towards the flower, and the fly will always go towards refuse. So what is our mentality in this life? Are we puffed up with bodily identification and puffed up of material possessions, which ultimately causes fear, right? Rajagun, Tamagun, creating that lust and anger. Everything within this world is ultimately based on fear. Fear that I'm not going to get recognition. Fear that somebody's not going to praise me. Fear that somebody has more material opulences than me. Fear that somebody has more bodily identification than me. There are so many ways that we're fearful in this society, especially in these days. And the mood of a devotee diving deeper and deeper into devotional life is to always be humble, to be tolerant. But we can only do that by diving deeper and deeper into the chanting of the holy name. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So it's 8.44. I'll stop here. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll ask for reflections, comments, corrections. Sorry, what? Thank you, Prabhu. There is a mention of austerities in order to, you know, whether whether it was Daksha or the associates of Lord Chaitanya practicing austerities. What if the motivation is wrong? Um, the body undergoes austerities. That would the result be different? Would there be a... Um, the opposite result to, you know, what one wants? You already <laughs> know the answer far better than me, but you're sadhu trying to get me to purify myself and speak on this. And... Um, yeah, the result will actually be opposite. Actually, in Shastra, so sacrifices, austerities, penances, right? In the Kartik month that is going to come up, it's actually stated that, uh, you know, you perform devotional service in the month of Kartik, and you'll get so many thousand times more benefit. Actually, if you dedicate, in, in Shastra it states this, that if you dedicate all of your austerities to your guru, then you get 100% of all the benefits. But if you're doing it just for yourself, then you only get half the benefits. So I, I, sometimes I think during Kartik, okay, I want the full benefit, so I'm going to dedicate it to Guru, but, <laughs> you know, how to, like, not be like, oh, I'm also doing it for myself, but, uh, you know, that selflessness of, 
oh, I'm just going to surrender everything to Guru. So in terms of, you know, like today's Akadasi, somebody can say, oh, I'm going to do Nirjal, I'm going to not eat anything, but at the same time, they'll go downstairs to the Prasadam Hall, they'll have that Ramachandra Puri mentality might come up. Oh, just see how these devotees are enjoying. They're not fasting like me. And so then we're actually, what are we doing? We're feasting on our false ego. And then we're going to get the opposite. Because austerities, penances, all these things, going back to dedicating them to Krishna, yat kuroshi yadashnasi, yaj jahoshi dadasi yat, yat tapasasi kaunteya, that whatever austerities you do, whatever you eat, whatever you're doing, offer that to Krishna. So this is actually bhakti, is that whatever we're going to do, we're offering it to Guru, we're offering it to Krishna. But if we're doing it for our own sense gratification, we're doing it because we want to be better than others, then the opposite effect will be there. We'll just, our ego will just become puffed up. We'll start walking around with a puffed up chest. Uh, Tushta Krishna Prabhu and then Semipras Prabhu. I think, thanks for the references you were giving. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, Ramachandrapur, you know, Lord Chaitanya with Ramachandrapuri, Srivas Thakur with Gopal Chapu. And you were saying that to imitate these is not favorable, to imitate these personalities. So, yeah, so one question is if we're not going to, if we're not at the platform, if we're not at that platform, then how should one move in those types of situations? And then even with, there was that pastime with Krishna and the Shamantaka pastime when Prasena was killed and there was false rumors. There was a rumor and Krishna, Krishna actually said he didn't like this, these rumors about him. And he actually went out to resolve it. He went out to find out what really happened. Prasena was actually, because they said Krishna killed Prasena for the Shamantaka jewel. This rumor was going around. And Krishna actually likes, I don't like this. I'm, there's a rumor going around about me. So he actually went out to investigate, found out that Prasena was killed by a lion, and then the lion was killed by Jambavan, and the jewel was taken by Jambavan to give to his child. So in that situation, um, we can see, um, you know, Krishna didn't like it. Of course, Krishna is not needing to defend himself. So anyways, you were mentioning these points about Lord Chaitanya didn't defend himself, Gopal Chapu didn't say, hey, no, I'm a devotee. So if we're not chanting Shudanam, it's a very rare soul who's chanting Shudanam and overflowing. Yeah, bringing all that up, saying that uh, we shouldn't imitate because there will be so much mental agitation. agitation. So in reflecting on that, you know, these personalities are so great, their devotion is so great. Like you said, chanting Shudanam, they're on such a high platform that we never want to imitate the great personalities, but we want to try to emulate. So emulation is sincere. You're actually trying to follow in their footsteps, not just try to falsely imitate. And I was thinking how, you know, when our bhakti is not so strong, somebody can criticize us, somebody can say something very harsh to us. And at first we can try to, you know, but it'll linger in the mind. 
oh, that person criticized me. You'll start harboring it. And for us, it's, that's why revealing our mind in confidence to senior devotees is so important because they can guide us or they can help us or they can actually go and talk with that devotee or there can be mediation so that there's, you know, somebody's not feeling criticized and then their devotion goes down. So in terms of being criticized or rumors or these things going around, if it's disturbing to the mind, then it should be dealt with. For these personalities, they could just go off. And Krishna also, in Dwarka, you know, he's playing the role of king. He's a great personality in Dwarka. So also in terms of leaders or personalities, right? we see Ram, you know, hearing about Sita being taken away by Ravana. There's this whole gossip going around. He has to act in such a way as to put those um, gossips to sleep. And that's also there for preaching also, right? If a leader is falsely criticized or, you know, there's false accusations, it can actually hurt the preaching. It can hurt other people's bhakti. And so then it has to be dealt with in a proper way so that that will go away. And then there's, you know, it's not done on a platform of, I need to protect my ego, I need to do this. Or it's, I need to protect others' bhakti, I need to protect preaching. So, would you like to add anything? or Semi prosperous? Hare Krishna. Thanks, Prabhu. Um, I was thinking about how, so you're, you're, cause you're talking about the pure devotional platform where one doesn't see faults, and certainly Lord Shiva is there, but at the same time we see that he's cautioning Sati not to go because he knows the, the faults that lie within her father. He, he noticed them right away when they first came out, and he left the arena because it was bad for other people. And he knows that if Sati goes... There, there's going to be an opportunity for more uh, expression of that fault and it's going to be bad for her as well as bad for him, Daksha so it seems like the if you're in a position of responsibility over another and you see that you have, a, you have a responsibility then to see what the faults of others are in relationship to your dependence um, and then to act accordingly and even because he's actually finding fault with Daksha here very, very politely very diplomatically, but he's actually saying, you know, yeah, you can go to see your friends and your father and these people, but only if they're not on the platform of being, you know, unable to respect others because of a bodily conception, which your father is. <laughs> he's saying like that. Uh, same time, he's 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 not a fault finder. He's a pure devotee. Can you just balance that out for us? So, in an attempt to balance that, what first comes to mind is in Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains how Apichet Sudharachara Bhajate Mama Nanyabhak Sadhura Samantavya Even if somebody has faults, they, can, they should still be considered saintly if they have a Nanyabhakti. Their bhakti is 
not disrupted, they're not taking shelter of the demigods, their bhakti is, you know, pure. And, but they have some faults due to the material world, due to their nature, and they're struggling with that. They should still be seen as sadhus. So Srila Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur says, you can see them as sadhus, but you shouldn't associate with them. Right? So you can understand this association is good for me, this association is not good for me. And for those who, you know, you might see a fault or not understand something, then there's some distance, right? I don't have to associate with that person because I'm just going to criticize. So from distance, I'm going to offer all respects, all love. love. You know, I'm going to caution my dependents because I don't want them to criticize. And so in a way, you can have healthy relationships in this world because if you, and especially if you're not a manager or, you know, a guru or somebody who needs to rectify somebody else's behavior, there can just be acceptance and friendship, you know, but from a distance. And you can also give mercy. And I was also thinking about how, you know, even in this platform, there's the story about the serpent who becomes a devotee from Narada Muni and how, you know, the serpent... He's, he's a snake, he's bitten so many different people, but now he's a bhakta, and he's vegetarian, he's not going to harm anybody, and he, still they're throwing rocks at him. And, you know, he says to Narada Muni, he said, I, you know, I can't bite anybody, I, and Narada Muni says, but you can still show your fangs, you know, as like a caution. And so there's different ways of, you know, having different personalities in this world that, you know, for the snake to engage in bhajan, he needed to show his fangs a little bit so he he could not be disturbed. So in, you know, a balanced way, we can, we're going to see faults, right? We're going to see faults in this world. But how to then go, well, that fault is in me and I see that in that other person because that fault is actually in me. And so I'm connecting with the fault. And then even the more we fault find others, what happens? We build bridges to those faults. And so we might not have a fault, but because we're connecting so much with the faults of the others, then those faults take place within our heart and then we start acting in a, in a way that's not favorable to, to devotional service. And then also, I mean, this is like a side point, but... Uh, what was it, last week was the disappearance day of Srila Vamsidas Babaji and how he was such a great exalted personality that his behavior was such that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur stopped his disciples from associating with Vamsidas Babaji because he was on such a platform that they would criticize him. So he was such an exalted personality that they couldn't associate with them because they would find faults because they're not on a proper platform. So it goes back to having that balance of, okay, what is association that's good for me? It's going to uplift me. That association, which it's probably not good for me, I'm going to have all love and respect and I don't have to criticize, I don't have to fault find. I just give them all love and respect.
but at the same time be smart what our, what we need for our devotional service. I really appreciated Tuesday Christian Prabhu's question in your answer. My question was similar, a little more specific. Um, when working with devotees and doing service with devotees, and different devotees have different roles, there's temple presidents, there's managers, there's people who are your superiors, there's people who you know, are reporting to you like this. This, um, this principle of when do we... For example, it could come up in service. You did this thing wrong, and you know, I actually didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I, it wasn't me who did that. That was either someone else or something happened or whatever. And we don't, we don't want to defend ourselves, right? Um, and we don't want to blame someone else. But also, when doing service for the purpose of service. And it could also not be beneficial for the service if your manager just thinks you're just messing things up every day when, when you're actually, by Guru's mercy, able to do something competently. So how do we, how do we navigate um, not wanting to blame others, not wanting to defend oneself? When is the time to just say, yes, Prabhu, I did that, even if we didn't do it? Um, and just taking the humble position and when is the time to to s- explain ourselves well in this day and age if that's happening you can just video tape yourself the whole time you're doing sermon Um, something that came to mind right away is that um, in Chaupati, when they're having festivals or um, you know different programs are going on, uh, they'll put up signs in different parts of the temple and where they're doing service that says, "Please forgive all of our offenses." Because in that heat of devotional service where there's either mass amounts of cooking going on, there's managing going on, there's so many, you know, there's still that kind of like passionate nature that just due to the nature of this world, there's going to be something said or something done that's going to rub somebody the wrong way. So they put all of these signs up saying, you know, please forgive any offenses. And afterwards, then they come and talk about things in a, you know, a way like what happened you know, and you, they have different counselors they can talk to. So in the same way, if, if, if something is happening where, you know, you, you do a service and say, well, you're doing it wrong, and you know that you're doing it right, you can defend yourself and say, well, I'm actually doing it right. And if it's still going on and it's disturbing to the mind, then you go to somebody who's senior or somebody who you can have mediation with and talk it out in a way that it's going to be beneficial for all parties. Because if, again, if we try to imitate and just play it off, and it keeps happening and it keeps happening, and it's disturbing our mind, then it's going to keep us from thinking about Krishna. 
We're just going to be thinking about, I have to deal with this person, this person. I'm doing it right, but they don't see it. And it's just going to be a disturbance. So then it's, you know, going to senior devotees, going through mediation, and doing it in a, in a way that's going to be beneficial for devotional service. Because we're going to feel so many emotions, right? In today's society, we're, you know, people are taking so many pills, they're taking so many drugs not to feel anything. Anti-anxiety drugs, antidepressant drugs, all these things to not feel, right? Brave New World, what is it, Soma? Just to get rid of, you know, all those emotions. But when we're still struggling with so many nartas, so many things, we have to deal with those emotions and we have to deal with it in a proper way. And ISKCON is such where, you know, counselor systems being set up and mediation and, you know, so many ways to actually take steps properly to uh, make it easier for us to think about Krishna. Is that okay? Would you like to add anything? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, but I think I'm bringing up less of the point of if you're having some kind of negative emotional reaction to it, because you could also not have any negative emotional reaction to it, like, yes, Prabhu, I did that wrong, Hare Krishna, move on, keep doing your service. My question is more along the lines, is that actually favorable for the service? Because then that could result in someone thinking, um, like you might be okay with it emotionally, but that could result in someone who's not doing a service properly being given more service and they'll continue to do it improperly. And someone who's doing a service properly and could be given more service not being given more service if things aren't made clear to a superior. So I'm asking more along the lines of like what's best for the service. Does that make sense? Yeah. That gets into a lot of specific stuff. Because yeah. you can speak very generally. But then to like get down to the really issues really hard. Yeah, like I guess in, in like Bhagavatam forum it's more generally speaking on you know, service seva. But if you're going to get down into like, you know, managerial specifics, then, yeah, then it gets into different managers seeing that that manager isn't proper to, you know, they're not making the right choices. Um, somebody could think that they're doing a service properly, but they're actually not. And then there's so many disagreements. And yeah, it gets into case by case point because then, you know, to speak generally on that, there's so many different factors, so many different natures, so many different... So, yeah, if somebody, you know, is not doing a service properly, then it's up to the managers to either, you know, make sure they're doing it properly or take it away. And the, because that's not the service that's meant for them. They could actually be doing something better. But again, it's, it's not in the uh, mood of false ego. It's in the mood of what's best for the service. Like you were saying, you know, like what's best for the service, 
that's going to be determined by somebody who's, who's in a managerial position that can see clearly. They're not seeing with false ego. They're not seeing with, you know, puffed up, um, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, case by case point, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll be very particular. So that's why I spoke more generally rather than, you know, it, it's like, how do you handle this? situation on Sankirtan. Do you speak generally or it's like, okay, well, you have to see the nature of the person, the nature of the situation. And so case by case point, it's going to be different in every situation rather than speak generally about it. Is that okay? Thanks, Prabhu. So, more or less, I had the same uh, question as to Sri Krishna Prabhu and Champakalata Saki uh, Devi. And it made me think of what you were saying. It reminded me of a, a court case we were in in the late 70s against, uh, well, it was Loving Way Pentecostal versus, you know, Hare Krishna's. <laughs> so, the Loving Way. Um, was uh, <laughs> harassing us pretty badly. So, uh, and lots of accusations, lots of, you know, trying to malign. And um, so it was really nice. We had this um, uh, ex-hippie uh, <laughs> uh, def defense lawyer, constitutional lawyer, that really liked Prasadam. <laughs> and so we uh, we just you know, we had to defend. And so I could see that through that case, there's some times when you just have to get out there and you have to boldly defend your position, you know. I mean, this is an extreme example. But um, we really had to present ourselves, you know, to the, to the whole public, to the world, this whole case going on. Um, you know, the, the reality. What's the reality? You know, be straightforward and honest. You have to swear on the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita, you know. And so just being straightforward, honest, um, presenting things as it is, and, uh, you know, defending um, in not, a, like you say, false ego sense, but this is for Krishna. It's like, we're doing this because we want to get back in this airport without this love from the other side, you know, harassing us. So, so I could just see that uh, you just really have to, um, you have to, you know, do Krishna's uh, service as he as he wishes. Like with Arjuna, you know, okay, you know, you can be really humble, this that, but sometimes you have to really be straightforward, bold, in a very um, Krishna conscious way. Not that we were so much, but we learned that that's what we had to do. Grantara Shema Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.